Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is Jen Taylor. I'm so excited. I'm here with Tammy Stacklehouse. Tammy, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I am too. This is like my favorite thing to do. So when people ask me how I'm doing today, I'm like, obviously I'm doing fantastic because I'm here with you today. And <laughs> every right. story is so exciting. It's, it's impossible not to be thrilled about it. So we're going to do something different with you today though. Usually I start my podcast with where you are right now because then I love going back and seeing the compound interest and domino effect that got you there. But everyone will understand why in the end, we're not starting there. We're just going to jump back. And like I told you, I want you to start with wherever it makes sense for you. Awesome. So uh, I, I have fibromyalgia. We'll just, we'll start there. Um, and I was actually one of those kids that was always sick. Um, I, oh, stories my mom has told about me being a baby, not like digesting things right and changing my diaper and having to stick my butt under the faucet because it was like sand. Like, I know the kind of show this is, so I can say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so like, I always had stuff going on. Like there was always issues with me. Um, but you know, growing up as a, as a kid in the seventies and the eighties, like we don't know what we know now. And I'm sure back then I, you know, I would have been diagnosed with depression and I would have been diagnosed with IBS and I, you know, like all of these things, I probably could have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia much, much earlier. Um, but that wasn't the case back then. And so I wasn't. And um, fast forward through a bunch of years um, and I ended up developing fibromyalgia after being in a very, very stressful job. I was the customer service manager, um, which meant I managed a call center. I managed technical support for a software company. You can just kind of imagine what that was like. You know, if the phone rang, it meant somebody was having a problem or had some kind of a question or whatever. And after nine years of that stress, my body just was done. It just was done. So you said 70s and 80s. When were you born to give 70. our list? 71? 71. Okay. And you were, I know you were diagnosed in 2007. Right. The, after working nine years at that job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about what, what else was going on in your life. Kids, marriage, outside mm. stuff, any family relationships, stuff like that. Yeah. So I grew up with a great family. Like I did not have, um, I didn't have any, any issues with my family. Like it was, it was like the perfect childhood in many, many ways. Um, but I had a lot of trauma medical wise. Right. Um, my mom talked about, uh, me, <laughs> uh, needing to have my tear ducts opened. And back in, you know, the early 70s, they didn't think that we needed to worry too much about anesthesia and all that other stuff. Because like, you're a baby, you're not going to remember. But I think that stuff is stored like on a cellular level. Um, and our little baby emotional psyches, like, you know, <laughs> like there's, it's in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, and so fibromyalgia often is triggered by some kind of a trauma and there's lots of studies that that kind of go back and look at um you know if there was abuse in your childhood and how that translates um and i didn't have that from like 
from my family or, or friends or school necessarily or anything like that. I had that from the medical community. And it was all things that, was done, that were done in the name of good medicine. Like to not treat those things would have actually been a problem, but that doesn't mean it wasn't traumatic, right? So that was, that was all my childhood. I, I was always a smart kid. I, um, you know, I think almost everybody has like school stories, like the mean kids, like we all run into those. Um, but in general, like there wasn't anything super traumatic for me. It was just the having a body that, that just wasn't quite made right. <laughs> I always said for a long time I would be like if my car my body was like a car um, I would have qualified for the lemon law by now like sure <laughs> <laughs> we've had too many like recalls here or something um, and and then and then the chronic stress of a, a super stressful job um, just kind of pushed everything over the edge um, I was diagnosed in 2007 I was married in 2006 um, so I was only married about six months uh, when I was diagnosed. Uh, I only worked at that stressful job about uh, two months after I got married. My husband and I both were like, mm, nope, <laughs> we're done with this. Uh, got me out of there. Um, but the damage was done, you know. And uh, so, yeah, those first six months of being married were super, super interesting on many levels. Um, but one of them was just he lived in Florida. I lived in Oregon. We got married and it's like, oh, I don't think I realized, you know, he didn't realize exactly how I was like physically, how I, um, like the way my illness manifested, for instance, right? Because when I would go visit him, I could be, I could be the best of myself. You know, I could push through for a weekend or whatever. Um, but day in, day out, that looks a whole lot different there's got to be a story on meeting and getting married. There's, got, there's no way Oregon and Florida. There's got to yes. be a story there. Wait, so just recap that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, so we, uh, I did, I found all the, some of this out later. Um, we actually both were on eHarmony at the same time. Um, he said he only wanted to meet local girls. <laughs> I was in Oregon. I said I would meet anybody anywhere, but he's like, no, I just want to meet the local girls. Okay, fine. Um, and we actually met on an author website. So um, some people might be familiar with John Eldridge. He wrote the book Wild at Heart um, and a few other books. Uh, he's a Christian nonfiction author. And um, he had a, had a forum where basically like a book club. Those of us who liked his books could get together on the forum and like talk. And that's where we met. So it was kind of like we met at a book club. It just happened to be online and we happened to be on completely opposite sides of the country. And um, it, was, it was funny because like, I was on the forum one day and these pictures popped up and they were, they were pictures of um, two hawks. And you could tell, like, the way the picture was taken, it was like a male and a female, and just the way, like, the body language of the birds, like, one of them looked very protective, and, like, they were, it, there was just, like, there was so much there to me in looking at this picture. Well, Scott was the one who took the picture, and I had sent him a message saying, oh, gosh, I don't even remember, but it was something like, you know, I like your picture, and, like, 
I want some, I want that someday, you know, <laughs> what I'm seeing in that picture. I want that someday. And apparently that was it. And he knew I was the one. <laughs> wow. Good job. Yeah. Way to go, Tammy. I know it took me a little longer to like, uh, you know, realize that that was the case, but like he knew immediately. And he got over the fact that you were across the country. Yeah. Yeah. He totally got over that. I told him he could, he could have met me like months sooner, but no. <laughs> <laughs> We're so funny, you know, how like we have these plans for what our life is supposed to be. And then like, you know, whatever your beliefs are, God, the universe, whatever, like, nope, <laughs> we're going to do it different. <laughs> yeah. And we get irritated about that and then realize, well, for me personally, I realize, okay, maybe I didn't have it mapped out really well before because <laughs> even if it's tough stuff that you go through, I have found for the most part over time, it's been better doing it the way when you get thrown under the bus and not, it's not expected, then that, that I, I plan everything. So I'm all about <laughs> making, it's never gone like that. But I think no. that's the best part. It is. It really is. And there's so, there's so, I don't know, there's so much juiciness to that, right? Like if you're willing to just keep your mind and your heart and your eyes open for like what the gifts are in the, in the unexpectedness, especially in the unexpected negative things, which is so hard to do because when something hard happens, like you're diagnosed with fibromyalgia or like when my sister passed away from cancer, like those kinds of things, it is so easy to close your heart and to just see the negative side of it. But I have found that like, there are so many gifts in those moments. Like that's really like the best lessons that I've learned in my life have come from the hard stuff. Amen. You guys were married. Did, who yep. moved where? How did that, or were you apart for part of that time? So he moved from Florida to Oregon a month before we got married. So we were not even on the same side of the country until about 30 days <laughs> before we got married. <laughs> and there were many moments in those first six months where I thought, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> I think we all feel that way, even without yes. the distance. I mean, yeah, that's not a, that's not a shock. <laughs> but being apart and then being together, you're right. And he, he must have known about your health stuff, but just it didn't click like you said, how it manifested. Right, exactly. And when I would go visit him for the weekend, like I said earlier, I could be the, the best of me, right? Like I could like pull myself together for a weekend or whatever, or like push myself a little extra hard and then go home and rest or whatever. Um, also, when he and I were dating, it was, my body didn't, hadn't fallen apart quite completely. Um, you know, I have always been one of those people where whatever is going on, like, let's just get through it. Right. So if it's, whether it's stressful or I'm nervous or whatever, like get through it. And then I fall apart afterwards. And so the same kind of thing happened with my fibromyalgia and my health. Um, I like when I was single, I had to keep working. Like there wasn't a choice. So I just did what I had to do. And, um, not too long after I got married and like, I didn't have to anymore. I, I sort of had permission to fall apart. Boy, did I. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Cause you guys are newly yeah. married. He's living in a new place. That's awesome that he was able to transfer his job. All, like all that happened. I'm yep. assuming. Yep. 
Yep, um, yep. He literally had the same job working from the same office, the same desk. He just happened to be in Oregon instead. So <laughs> that's so, crazy. Like, that's great. Yeah, it was magic how it worked out. And what happened with you? Mm, and yeah. tell me about the first six months before the diagnosis. So those those six months were tough because it's like I slowly I slowly got worse. And in many cases, it like I said, it was just almost more that I gave myself permission to feel the way I really felt rather than just like forcing myself through it. Um, there were also a lot of situations where, um, like for instance, if he's driving the car, uh, if it was me driving, I would do what I needed to do for me. Like I would park in the close parking space, right? Um, but because he's driving the car, he parks like halfway to the end of the parking lot. And I'm like, well, what are we doing way out here? Right. And it became more obvious to me that there were issues because I wasn't controlling everything as much simply because there was another person in my life, right? Um, I couldn't choose, nope, I'm just not going to go to the grocery store today because I don't feel it. Um, you know, when there's two of us, it's like, oh, I guess we're going, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to go, go get groceries or um, going and doing something and then like, uh, walking around fries. I, I'm married to an engineer. So we're walking around the electronics store and I'm like done, right? I'm, I'm ready to, to head home. I'm, I'm, I'm done walking. I've used all my energy, but we're there together. He still has things he wants to look at, you know? So there was a lot of situations like that where it just became more obvious to me what my limitations were. But I don't think really either one of us knew exactly what was going on because I didn't have a diagnosis yet. Right. And so we would, um, it, there would be this this frustration on both our ends. Me, why the heck are we parking way out here? I told you I need to park by the door. And him thinking, but wait a minute, you could do this yesterday. Why can't you do this today? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't think he ever thought I was making it up, but I don't think he understood, like, especially not to his engineer logical brain. Like, it just did not compute what was happening. And finally getting a diagnosis helped a lot because it gave us a, like a reason for what was happening. It gave us a name for this thing. When did you go in? Cause you, like you said, you'd been kind of battling this most of your life to some degree or another. And the job was stressful and you knew. <clears throat> so when did, when did the, was there a red flag that made you think, okay, I need to go get help. This is not just, my normal not functioning as well as you should. Is that right. a good way to phrase it? <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. That's good. Um, part of it happened actually before I got married. Um, while I was still working, I remember this one day where I was, I was sitting in my office and I was looking at the computer and I knew there was work that I needed to do, but like I just couldn't put the thoughts together. Like I just you know how when you get physically tired and just like the thought of picking up something heavy, you're like, I just can't make myself do that. Only this was just like mental energy. Like I couldn't make myself think. It just took too much energy to even think. And I remember thinking that if I could just turn off the light and close my office door and like lay down on the floor for a second, like I would be out because I was so exhausted. And um, also realizing, you know, here I am, 
you know, my late twenties. But when I get home, like I hurt all over and I feel like I'm 60, 70, 80, you know, like I feel like an old woman and I'm in a 20 something year old body. So that's when I first started checking into like what might be wrong with me. And um, I even thought at that point it might be fibromyalgia because like, I'm a smart chick. I did my research and I even asked my doctor, could it be fibromyalgia? And um, I, I, our insurance at the time was through an HMO and um, the, the answer I got was basically, no, it's just your stressful job. Here's a referral to a counselor. And it wasn't, so I, I already knew there was something wrong, but like I was not getting the help that I needed where I was. And then as soon as we got married and, and I got shifted over to Scott's insurance, I was like, okay, let's try this again. <laughs> now I'm outside of that HMO box. I can, you know, find a doctor. And that's when I, when I finally found the right doctor and finally got diagnosed. Um, but it took being on different insurance and having a different choice of doctors to finally find somebody who knew enough to be able to diagnose me and help me. First of all, that totally sucks. Yes, it does. <laughs> because a doctor should be diagnosing according to the person. Don't even get us started on that. Nope, nope, let's not. <laughs> it's great though that you knew you didn't need the counselor like there was something else going on and you were proactive about your care. I don't think people in general are always proactive enough. I think we, we have, we excuse things away. Oh, it's just because I, this happened. Oh, it's just because of this, you knew though, and you followed through and that, that's great. How long did it take for them to diagnose you or did they narrow it down pretty quickly when you got to that next doctor? Um, so the first doctor I saw when I got switched over to Scott's insurance, um, she did not diagnose me with fibromyalgia, but looking back, I can see that she probably was thinking it um, because she, one of the things we talked about was the fact that we've got to break the pain cycle. My body is really good at processing pain. We've got to stop the pain or else I'm going to be like in pain forever. Um, and so she gave me pain meds and like a few other things like I could tell that that her brain was going down that road, but she never gave me a diagnosis. Um, and 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 fortunately, I say fortunately because of how everything turned out. But fortunately, she decided to leave her practice and go back to emergency medicine. So I had to find yet another doctor. Um, and the reason that was fortunate is because while she was thinking about things right, she had put me on Vicodin daily. And if I, I know if I had stayed with her, even though she had the right idea, that could have been, that could have been bad news <laughs> because long-term use of opioids causes its own issues, right? Um, I think there's definitely a time and a place for them, but it could have created a, an even worse situation for me. Um, but because she left her practice, went back to emergency medicine. I had to find another doctor, which was a pain in the butt at the time. Um, and so it was really interesting. Like, I think it was so divine the way it all worked out. Um, we just, we looked at a list of doctors. There was a clinic around the corner from our house that we kept driving past. So I just looked them up online, looked at the doctors. I had kind of narrowed it down to 
I don't know, three or four different doctors. And I asked Scott, which one do you think I should go see? And, you know, we're just randomly picking somebody off of a website, right? And um, turns out fibromyalgia was one of the things that she specifically had studied in medical school, one of her areas of focus. And so she was able to diagnose me and treat me and I got really good results. Um, but that was probably another, maybe another six months after how do they diagnose for fibromyalgia? Yeah, so um, it's actually changed over the course of time. Um, right now, there are actually two uh, blood tests that are approved by the FDA for diagnostic purposes. Um, they, the first one has been around since like 2012. So they're still relatively new. Most doctors don't know about them. Not all insurance covers it, all of that. But they actually are two blood tests that, that some people are using. Um, they also look at your, your symptoms how long you've had symptoms, how severe your symptoms are. They look at your fatigue. Um, they look at specific spots on your body. We call them tender points. Um, and there's 18 of them on the body. Uh, you don't have to have a particular number of them. Used to, but you don't anymore. Um, but they do look at those specific spots because it's something that's particular to fibromyalgia. With us, those particular 18 points tend to hurt more than a normal person. Um, and then the, the other thing that's super important that they look at is our sleep. Uh, if you have fibromyalgia, you have bad sleep. You wake up and you feel like you didn't sleep at all. Somebody ran you over in the middle of the night when you weren't looking. <laughs> You know, um, if you don't have that, if you, if you are like, oh, I've got all the pain, I've got all the fatigue, but oh my gosh, when I wake up in the morning, I feel like I got a good night's sleep. You don't have fibromyalgia. <laughs> like that is like a classic, classic thing. Um, so a lot of it is just like talking to the patient and, and understanding their symptoms and also ruling out that it isn't something else. So a lot of the symptoms can also be caused by thyroid issues. So we check and make sure there's not a thyroid issue. You know, we check and make sure it's not lupus. We check and make sure it's not rheumatoid arthritis and all of those kinds of things. Um, but we also look at the, the symptoms themselves because you can have both, like you could have lupus and fibromyalgia. So, uh, yeah. How fun would that be? <laughs> I oh, know. Yeah. Right? I didn't realize there were blood tests. I wasn't sure how they checked. So, yeah. And is now I'm going to go back to what the first doctor said, where like you have a stressful job. Here's a, here's a therapist. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily a bad thing with fibromyalgia because it's usually the catalyst is a traumatic event. Yes. Yes. You and I were actually talking about this before we started recording um, that there there's always I say always, but know that there's a little asterisk there. Like, you know, I can't, I can't say a hundred percent of the time, but mostly, uh, there's some kind of a traumatic event, physical, emotional. Um, it could be that you get, um, really, really sick with a virus and just never fully recover, or you're in a car accident or, um, you had an abusive childhood or whatever it is. My case, chronic stress, plus all that medical stuff as a kid, um, you know, made the, the magic combination. Um, so 
yeah, there's, there's always something like that. So yes, going to, going to a counselor can be super helpful, especially if there's some kind of a traumatic trigger, especially an emotional traumatic trigger. There's also the aspect of, my God, you're living in a body that like doesn't do what you want it to do and hurts all the time and you can't do what you used to do. And that's freaking depressing. <laughs> Right? So like there's this other obvious part of sometimes we need help coping with that and coping with this idea of, of who am I now? Right? There's so many people that their identity is so tied up in what they do that when you can't do that anymore, they don't know who they are. I, I went through that. How did the diagnosis help with the relationship with Scott? And like, was it a light bulb? I'm guessing it was like, oh, now all this makes sense. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll part closer. <laughs> um, I mean, I would think there would be a huge shift in your relationship, but it should have been positive because like you said, you have a need. Now you know what you're dealing with. It's not like the, the monster under the bed. Right, right, exactly. I, I wouldn't say that it was a huge light bulb moment where it was instantly transformed. I mean, it, in one sense, yes, because it was like, okay, there's, there's this thing, there's a reason. But at the same time, fibromyalgia fluctuates so much that I would still have those moments where I could do stuff and moments where I could do even less than normal, right? So like if you have a baseline of normal, there were days when I was better and days where I was actually even worse. And it wasn't predictable. And especially for my engineer husband who like wants logic, um, it just, it was so hard. And, you know, when he's working all day, even though he worked from home, he's still like in his office at home working. He didn't always see how bad I, I actually was. Um, when I filed for social security disability, um, it was, I was kind of hurt uh, when I realized that he basically had told them that I wasn't as bad as I had said that I was. And, and it really wasn't because he didn't believe me. It was because he didn't see, like he did, just did not see me at my worst, right? And I think that that's true for so many of us in our lives. If, if I show up at your party, it's because I'm having a good day right? Like, I'm not going to be there if I'm having a bad day. So you don't see the bad days. And that makes it really tough for the people around us to, to really get that picture. Cause we're, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's, um, I don't know. We don't want to show it. Right. I imagine not. And it would be frustrating for the person on the other end. I get that. That may, that would be very difficult on both ends. You, did you get the disability? So, um, no, I didn't, but it is a happy ending. Um, I, like uh. most people, I filed for disability and immediately got a denial. Like the first two denials are like almost guaranteed. Um, the people who are processing that paperwork are literally admin people with no medical training who are just processing paperwork. Um, by the time I got to the point where I was actually in front of a judge, I was actually so much better that I no longer qualified. Wow. So, 
I mean, no, that's, I did not get my disability, but it was good. It was for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's great. That's a, that is a good head. <laughs> Plot twist. Wow. Okay. So I just assumed that you got it. And okay. So you didn't get the disability and how long a period you get the diagnosis and you get the turn, you get turned down for disability. How much time had passed? I was yeah, I was diagnosed in 2007. I filed for disability in 2008. And um, by the time I got in front of a judge, it was 2010. So it takes about two years to get to that stage, um, which is why like, it's so hard for so many people. Uh, I mentioned earlier, my sister passing away from cancer, like she was she was approved after she died. So like, yay. Um, <laughs> the the oh system gosh, is so messed up. That's a whole That's, other... that's horrible. Okay. <laughs> whole another podcast. Okay. Um, so yeah, from the, from the time I was diagnosed to the time that I was in front of the judge and was better was a total of three years. What were you doing in those three <laughs> years, young lady? Because you... A lot of people is, okay, I, I'm going to defer to you because I'm certainly not the expert. You've gone through traumatic events and you have fibromyalgia and it probably is a whirlwind and you never know what to expect. <clears throat> and you turned it around somehow. You were so much better in a couple of years. So what were you doing and how, was, how involved was Scott? Because I don't know anything about that, but I'll ask you ahead. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so I was diagnosed in 2007. I left the doctor's office with a handful of prescriptions and a list of supplements to buy. And, you know, I just kind of tried to do my best. Obviously, it wasn't a miraculous answer because a year later I filed for disability, right? So obviously that wasn't the answer. Um, and then a year after that, um, at the beginning, end of 2008, beginning of 2009, I like just had one of those moments where I just had like this flash of what my life, like what was ahead of me. And it was just this massive downhill, no good, like not uh, not what I wanted. Right. And so like we were trying these medications. I was still having a lot of pain. I was still so fatigued. I had tried working and had to keep quit working uh, because either I physically couldn't do it or like one of the, one of the jobs I got fired cause I like really screwed up. Um, so like, you know, like there were, I, there were obvious reasons why I filed for disability. It just wasn't working. And I had that moment where I'm like, my future sucks if I don't do something right. Like something has to change. So I made an appointment with my doctor. I went in to go see her and I was, Scott went with me. And, um, and I basically, I just told her what I just told you. It was like, I, I had this vision of my life. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I don't want that. What do we do? And, um, she introduced me to a health coach in her office. She gave me a couple of different options. Um, but that was one of them. Um, we, we talked in typical conversations, right? Like we talked about losing weight. We talked about all the different things. Um, but one of the things that she mentioned was the fact that she had a health coach in her office and I could work with the health coach. And it was the one thing, 
like some of the other things she mentioned, like, yeah, I tried that. Yeah, I tried that. Yeah, I tried, you know, that, that did not work. Um, but I haven't tried this. So let me, let me try and see, like, what have I got to lose? And I started working with the health coach in January of 2009. And it was that year that made the difference. That was the thing that by 2010, I no longer qualified because that health coach helped me implement all the things my doctor had been telling me to do all along, right? Like how to take care of myself better and how to change my diet and how to get to bed earlier and like all of the things. Um, and that was, that was when stuff turned around for me. The doctor was great then. It was just the implementation of it or the accountability or, mm -hmm. the, both, I mean, both. I think, I think sometimes it's the excellent explanation and the delivery too. I can say, go to bed earlier and you can say, okay, like it doesn't mean one time ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I will do that tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And she made a huge difference because she was kind of keeping you accountable and you had somebody to a coaching relationship. So I brought up therapy earlier on purpose because I knew about this. I think that there are a lot of modalities that work different. There is the medical, there is therapy, and there is coaching. And coaching can be a really fantastic bridge between all of that. The person doesn't have to be licensed as a doctor or a therapist to have a lot of the information, but there's a much closer relationship. Do you feel that way? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So when I, I did go to a couple of counseling sessions and it was mostly, you know, we talked about um, my job and like how I could handle things differently. Um, but we were really looking at, at specific triggers in my life. When I was working with my health coach, it was, it was so much more all encompassing and it was so much more practical. So it was things like, okay, I, I'm pushing myself and not getting enough sleep every night. I'm a night owl, but I end up having to get up and do these things. How do I do this? And we would brainstorm. We would talk together about, okay, you know, I need to turn off the TV earlier at night and, you know, all of those little things. Um, and then talking to my coach every single week. Um, that's another thing. Like just every week she was in the middle of my life. <laughs> You know, like it, she knew what questions to ask me, right? To make sure if I was really doing the thing. Um, and it, you know, kind of still keep me moving towards the future. So often I think, um, and I have nothing against counseling, it's absolutely the right choice in many cases, but so often it's looking backwards and coaching is very much about looking forward. And how do I how do I do these things that I want to do right now? So, you know, changing my diet. How do I do that when I'm going to a party tomorrow or, or it's my birthday and grandma's making birthday cake, you know, right? Like how do, how do I do these things? And then really brainstorming and making a plan and strategies for how to do what I want to do. And to me, like that was the missing piece. Your doctors just can't do it in a 15 minute appointment. They just can't. Exactly. Well, and their job is to diagnose it and th their job isn't to be a coach. So right. they're, yeah. It, and I loved that therapy is looking backwards and coaching is looking forward. That is the biggest difference. And it isn't that therapists don't sometimes look forward or coaches look backwards. 
but yes, so true. And weekly, you were <laughs> definitely accountable to answering some questions. That would put you on the spot. I mean, you'd have to, you can't just go to bed early once ever. <laughs> right. Exactly. There was a point. Oh my gosh. I for, totally forgot about this. There was a point where I actually had to text her when I was going to bed at night, <laughs> like literally every day, text her and say, I'm going to bed now. <laughs> you were naughty. I know you were naughty. <laughs> yes, I was <laughs> naughty. You got it. <laughs> a little stuff. I need a little extra. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but things got much better how fast did you start to see? Well, I have a couple questions. One, how fast did you start to see results? Because in a year you went from disability to no, that's pretty huge. It is. And you were meeting her weekly for the whole year. And how much did you change your diet? What did you change it to? What made the biggest, what were your triggers? Okay, go. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, so I did not work with her weekly for the entire year. Um, but most of it, it, most of it, um, as, as I got farther along, I didn't quite need every single week. Um, so it kind of started to, to space out a bit. Um, uh, but absolutely the first probably six months for sure, maybe even longer, it was every week. And I noticed the biggest difference in that first six months. Um, the second six months, there was still improvement, but it wasn't quite as dramatic. Um, so that first six months, I literally went from where I was in the middle of filing for disability, that moment of, oh my God, I've got to change my life or it's not going to be good. Um, to six months later, my husband and I, we, Scott and I had been talking about going to this conference and we were thinking about being health coaches because we were seeing so much change in my life. And we thought about going to this conference and we were having a conversation about um, how do I participate in the conference? Like if we're going to go there, how do I make sure I can actually like attend the classes and do the things? So we were talking about, do we need to rent me a wheelchair? So I'm not using all my energy, just getting from room to room, right? I can actually like have energy to participate. And um, within about six weeks of that conversation, um, we went to the conference. I did not need a wheelchair. I was actually dancing on stage at one point. <laughs> it was crazy. And um, the biggest change that I made during that first six months actually was my diet. Um, a lot of it was just mental, like changing how I thought about myself. So a lot of it was mindset. Um, changing how I took care of myself, but changing my diet was was a big piece. Um, I cut out a lot of sugar at that point. I cut out a lot of processed foods. Um, one of the things that I did do during that time, because of course, when you have fibromyalgia, you don't have a lot of energy, right? So saying you're going to cut out processed foods is one thing, but like actually like making dinner is something else all totally another thing. Um, so I actually used a lot of meal replacements at that time, but they were still healthier than what I was eating. Um, more protein, better nutrients, things like that. Um, and really just changing the nutrition that my body was getting so that it had the building blocks to be able to feel better, right? Like our bodies are designed to heal. They, we were made to be able to heal. But in order to do that, we've got to have the right materials. <laughs> we've got to have rest. We've got to have nutrients. We've got to have protein. We've got to have the building blocks. You know, you can't build a house if you don't have the lumber. So 
Yeah. How did, did Scott's diet change with yours? He was pretty on board with all of this, I'm guessing. Um, he was definitely on board when we would eat together. Um, we usually were on the same page, but most of his day we did not eat at the same time. So, you know, he still was doing his McDonald's and some of those other things. <laughs> But, but at the same time, like he wasn't dealing with the same health crisis I was, you know, like I was highly motivated to do whatever I needed to do to not have that future that I had the glimpse of. I think also when you make a change, like cutting out sugar, which is a really huge, hard thing to do to reduce sugar intake. Um, when you do that, you, you go through a couple of weeks of not feeling very good because your body's used to all that crap yeah. and then you feel so good you can't believe it you know and so i'm guessing if you were making changes in your diet there was a turning point where you were like wow it was probably almost confusing i feel this good again today and again tomorrow Exactly right. I remember at one point, um, my coach had asked me, you know, like, what are you, what are your five-year goals? You know how we coaches do, right? And I, and I was like, I, I don't know what, how I'm going to feel like next week. <laughs> so five years from now, like that's just not even a possibility for me to like wrap my brain around. So we had, my coach and I had basically come up with the mantra that Every day I stick to my program, I'll feel a little bit better. Every day I will feel a little bit better. And just string enough of those little bit betters together, eventually you get to the place where you can think about next week and next year and five years from now. Um, so for me, it was, it was really, again, having a coach, having somebody to talk through that and figure out what was gonna work for me. Not just like the actions that were gonna work, but the mindset that was going to work, right? Because there's so many things out there in the world and we're told how we should do things, um, but those shoulds don't always work for everybody. And we've gotta find our magic sweet spot. That's true. And you felt so much better, you decided to become a coach. So was that the, the conference that you and Scott went to? Was it that one that you decided? Yeah. What yeah. got you guys on that path and him, he was on board. You must have been showing a lot of improvement and he's got the yes. engineer brain. So yeah. Yeah. share with me that journey because this was 10 years ago in 2009. Yep. Yep. 10 years ago. Um, gosh, 10 years ago, next month, actually. Um, so we had decided to go to this conference um, to just learn more. We were thinking about being coaches. Really what it was, was my coach and my husband were telling me I should be a coach. But I was telling Scott, okay, yeah, I know I would be an awesome coach. I'm not well enough yet. Like I am afraid to take on clients because what if, you know, I mean, I had only been feeling well for a couple of months, right? So ugh, what happens if I revert back? What if I crash? What if I don't feel good? And so I, I told Scott, I'm like, you're going to have to do this with me. Like, I can't do this without you. We both have to be coaches so that we even set up like the email addresses and things so that it would come to both of us because I was just so worried that I would drop the ball because I just 
hadn't been feeling well enough, long enough that I, I felt confident in that. Of course, you know, 10 years later, he does not coach at all. <laughs> that, that lasted like a couple of months, I think. <laughs> before that's I was like, okay, did, that's fine. You just needed the handhold and how cool that he was on board for, for you and with you to go through that process. So that's a great part of the journey. Yes, definitely. I, I 100% needed that safety net of knowing there was somebody else there uh, to help with that. And also, when you're, you're thinking about doing something, it's different than when you're in the middle of doing it, right? So when I was thinking about being a coach, I had this idea of what that might be like. But once I was actually in the middle of being a coach and realizing, oh, you know, I can, I can do these calls sitting in my bed. I can do, you know, I can, I can feel good enough for an hour coaching call, even if I have to take a nap afterwards, right? Like I can take care of my clients, but that's not something that anybody really could have told me up front unless they were dealing with the same thing I was dealing, which I, I didn't know any fibromyalgia health coaches, <laughs> right? So, um, but that's something that I do teach. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give that. No, we're, I, I, we're ready. We're ready. <laughs> so in the last 10 years, I'm going to recap a little bit. I'm not recap. I'm going to move forward. You're an award-winning author of two books. Yep. You were the fibromyalgia coach and take back your life. Yep. And you've been a fibromyalgia coach for 10 years. You founded International Fibromyalgia Coaching Institute in 2015. I feel like the mom that's proud right now. Um, <laughs> you have coaches in five countries around the world. You travel 10 weeks out of the year. You teach, you speak. I mean, yeah. me that's huge. It is. It is. Every now and then I, I have those, like it's my life, I'm living it. So sometimes I forget and every now and then I have those glimpses of what life used to be like, or really like seeing my life through somebody else's eyes last weekend and this coming weekend. Um, I am, people are paying to fly me out and speak at their awareness day events where people are buying my books and lining up to have me sign them and have their pictures taken with me. And it's like, Oh, like it's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> And I know for most fibromyalgia patients, like it is such a foreign thing. Like I never could have imagined this when I was in the middle of it. Um, but every day, if you stick to the things that help you feel better, you'll feel better a little bit better every day. And you just keep stringing those together. 10 years later, you know, you could be here. Tell me about the business because there's, I just spit out a whole bunch of information. <laughs> you are a health coach still for 10 years. So tell me um, what else. I mean, I know what you do because I cyber stalked you, of course. Um, but you tell me what you do because like we talked about right before we started the interview, I know that hundred percent of entrepreneurs that I've interviewed, their business was born from their struggle. And that's why I didn't talk about your business first because it made more sense to talk about your struggle because I can't say, well, you're a fibromyalgia coach. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me about what you do because it clearly we, we needed to have the background for you, which is unique. Tell me how, I understand how you decided to get there, but you're not, you're giving back. You're teaching people how to coach. Yeah. You're not just coaching people. So talk to me about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I love being a coach. I love working with people and seeing the, the difference that 
that I can make in somebody else's life, like my coach made in my life, right? And just seeing that dramatic change in my own life really just inspired me to get other people those same results. And so, you know, like you said, it's our struggle that inspires us. But then at a certain point, um, which for me was after I wrote my first book, I realized that there were so many more people out there who needed help than I could help by myself right there there's just only so much of me especially with fibromyalgia right like there's only so much of me there's only so many hours in the day there's only so many people i can help but there's millions of people out there with fibromyalgia i can't help millions <laughs> so i started thinking about okay what what can i do how do i duplicate myself how do i help all of these other people who need help. Writing my book was part of that because obviously people can grab my book even if they can't work with me. But I also realized that I literally needed to duplicate myself. I needed to create more people like me doing the work that I do. So um, in the fall of 2015, I was like, mm, all right, let's, let's just see what happens. <laughs> And so I, I just kind of, you know, let my list know, hey guys, I don't know if, I'll, if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but I feel like I should teach some people how to do what I do. Anybody interested? And that first class oversold in two seconds and um, we've been off and running ever since. So um, right now, of course it's morphed over time, um, but right now what I offer is two certification programs. The first one is a certified fibromyalgia advisor, which is where I teach you the basics of the fibromyalgia information. So we talk about everything from medications to alternative treatments, you know, natural stuff, things you can do for yourself, lifestyle changes, different kinds of treatment. It's all very um, science and research based. So I talk a lot about the studies that have been done. Unfortunately, with fibromyalgia, most of them are very small pilot studies, but it's something, right? Um, we're looking at what really helps. Uh, we also do talk a bit about, you know, just the, the anecdotal evidence, right? After 10 years of working with patients, I've seen a lot. Um, and that's the first uh, certification program. And then for people who want to go on and become a coach and build a business and do that kind of a work, um, I have a, a second certification program, which is the fibromyalgia, sorry, fibromyalgia coach certification. And, um, you know, depending on whether people are wanting the fibro knowledge so that they can run support groups or um, have a nonprofit or have a blog, like sometimes they just need that first part or if they're already a coach and they just need to learn the, the fibro part or if they're a patient that wants to learn how to feel better on their own, sometimes they just take the first class. Um, but the second class is also there to really teach people how to do the work that I do. And people are lining up to take, to become <laughs> coaches. Did you ever see this in a million years? No. Oh my gosh. This is one of those things where if I had known, it probably never would have happened. <laughs> right? Because like it, it's overwhelming sometimes. Like it is every now and then I'm like, really? I kind of want to just go back to being like a one-on-one -on -one coach. And life was so much simpler then. Um, but you know, once you're dealing with multiple people and making sure that 
that they know enough to then be able to help somebody else, right? Like it's sort of my grandchildren out there, right? Um, in, in terms of, of reach, which is both good and bad, right? It's good because I'm getting to help more people, but it's bad from the perspective of there's, there's more that I have to do to make sure that, that the people who are helping them know the right things to be able to help them properly, right? So it's, there's more on me, I think, more responsibility on me than if I was just helping each person individually because then it's just me, right? Um, and, and it's just like, it's just so much more complicated. We've got coaches now in, in five different countries around the world. I've got a couple of students in my class right now. When they graduate, it'll make seven countries. So like there's different laws. There's different like what's available in your country. Not all of the FDA approved fibro meds are even available in all countries. So there's this level of complexity there that is, that is kind of insane. <laughs> So, so yes, if I had known, we might not be here. Um, and that's the beauty of it, right? Is you just have to know the next little step. Like you just have to know the next piece and just kind of follow where it leads. You've maintained the diet and you've maintained feeling good for the last over 10 years now. And it just keeps getting better. That's the part that, that blows my mind is even in the last few years, there have been things where I'm still seeing improvement in how I feel. Uh, one of the things I used to do uh, a couple years ago is I would automatically take pen, pain medication when I would travel, being on an airplane, sleeping in hotel beds, like it was just really a recipe for for having fibro pain. And so I would just sort of preventatively take that medication. I would take a pain pill before I got on the airplane, for instance. And um, about a year and a half ago, I realized while I was getting ready for a trip that I didn't have enough to do that and didn't have time to refill my prescription before the trip. So I thought, ooh, gosh, okay, this will be scary, but uh, let's, let's just see how I do. And, you know, I only actually had to take it a, a couple of times and now I don't have to take it at all. Um, but, you know, there's still these little improvements, still things that, that I learn, still ways that, that even I grow. Um, so it's like I'm still expecting to get even better yet. I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> Yay! Thank you, Tammy, so much for being on. And all of your information will be in the show notes so people can find you. You have a podcast. You have two books. Two books? Two books. Okay. Um, well, I didn't know if there was two award-winning, but then like five others that just... <laughs> no, they're, they're all good. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't want to... <laughs> Book three's not out yet, so there's only okay. two. <laughs> okay. And lots and lots of experience in like every aspect of this. So thank you so much for sharing your story. You are so welcome. It's been so much fun.